the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, friends. Welcome to Difference Makers. My name is Mike Lee, the Director of Local Ministries here at 93.9 KPDQ, True Talk 800, 104.1 The Fish, and 93.1 L. Ray. And my special guests in the studio today happen to be the plenary speakers, or two out of three, for the Pearls of Hope Conference. It's going to be held at Western Seminary in Portland, October 24th and 25th. Welcome, Faye DeMeyer and Surin Backer. Ladies, how are you today? Really well, Mike. Um, thank you so much for having us. This is a joy for me. I get to work with you on Saturdays, so this is like double fun. It really is. Selfishly, my, my dear old friend and sister here. And Surin, it's really great to have you all the way up from down south. huh? How long a drive was it for you today? I'm afraid to ask. Well, the way I drive, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. you got to watch that at the end of the month, okay? That's right. That's there right. you go. So, off the bat, tell us about the Pearls of Hope Conference. What do we need to know, and who's invited? Well, anyone's invited. Uh, men, women, uh, youth, I would guess from 12 up would be very appropriate. We are, um, the conference title is Pearls of Hope, and it, that's our umbrella uh, name, but it's going to be uh, Discovering Your Divine Destiny, Mike. And so the goal is going to be um, healing spiritual emotional, and physical. And much more is going to happen. Seren, will you talk a little bit about what we're going to see in breakouts and also some of the prophetic words? Yeah, I think um, going back a little bit, Faye and I were just brainstorming, and we're both speakers and Mm -hmm. teachers, and we both do conferences and retreats and said, you know, one day we should do this thing together. And then Mm -hmm. out of that, um, came a group of women who actually banded together and felt called to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think we tried to not do this a couple of times, but we really felt like the Lord was pushing us on. Mm-hmm. And, and there were just so many answered prayers and so many confirmations from people around us to do this. And I personally resisted the name Hope, Pearls of Hope. We're both at New Hope. Yes. <laughs> and there's Hope Chapel and there's all kinds of you know names with hope in it. I said, that that's so done. I mean, it's so overused. Maybe we should try some other conference, but we all kind of landed on, no, it needs to be about hope. Mm -hmm. So um, there are a lot of prophetic voices coming out right now who's talking about the importance of hope, because without hope, you don't have the beginnings of faith. And if you don't have faith, then you don't have the substance of things unseen. That is the answer to your prayers. So we um, both do a lot of counseling, and across the people that we counsel a lot, what I keep hearing, and I think what Faye was hearing was this despair, the hopelessness. Mm -hmm. And it seems like the world is just kind of spinning into this negative, despair-filled, what's going to become of us? What's what's happening to the church? What's happening to our nation? What's happening to the world? And in the midst of that, I think it's really important for we as a body of Christ to come together and remember, God is able. That's right. We have every reason in the world and every reason in the universe, in all creation, 
to have hope because we belong to him. That's right. So that's our focus is that whatever is going on, that our eyes are still on Jesus Christ and what he's able to do, what he has personally mm-hmm. done in our lives and, and impart hope, make it contagious. I think the significance of the pearl is that notion of pearls are really forged in irritation. They're forged in struggle um, of that wonderful little oyster. He has to struggle, and his struggle with this piece of sand produces something significant. And that is the life of the believer, is the struggle to produce something significant. Our struggles are not just for us. Our struggles struggles are to comfort other people. And as we were driving up here, one of the questions that Seren said, so as we've been planning for this, have you noticed a lot of things in your life kind of being a little bit harder? And we both agree that they have, but they haven't been harder for us. The struggles are there, but we're seeing the miracles. We're seeing because of our faith, because it was born out of hope earlier on, we're actually seeing emerge pearls all over our families, all over our jobs, all over each other. And this group of women that gather together, whether we're praying or planning, this faith is getting bigger and bigger. It's like the more irritation in the body of Christ, instead of letting that cripple you, and cause you to be, quote, hopeless, it builds your faith. Because in Corinthians, it says we are actually comforted so that that comfort, that same comfort, we will comfort others with. We're a bit wimpy here in this country. We don't want it bad. We don't want to be refined. We don't want that friction, that irritation. So it's funny. I want to backtrack a little. You talked about both of you being with New Hope. Mm -hmm. Now, Now, for me, when I think New Hope, I think of uh, the big church on the hill right here off of 205. Okay, so what do you mean by New Hope? Are you talking about the Christian College downtown? That's right. You do, it used to be formerly Eugene Bible College before that open Bible, and now it's New Hope Christian College um, for what, about six years now? About six years. And uh, we're both in the area of psychology there. And Seren's been there how many years? My third year now. Yeah, and this is my first year. I started in August. Oh, congratulations, it's, Faye. It's awesome. Of course, it's the two of you were amazing. friends long before you began working at the same college. It feels like a long time because we yeah. connected right away, but it's only been a year and a half, really. Yeah. June 13th, we made a You trip. remember the date? Yes. <laughs> June <laughs> kind of funny. we got in her Suburban, and we launched a three-day trip down to Christian That's Media right. in Los Angeles, California, and... I didn't know at the time that Seren was vetting me for New Hope, <laughs> trying to get me to I be was. there. And now I'm the campus chair for Christian Council. So with, there was this ulterior motive going on it for this awesome. road trip of yours, Seren, wasn't there? Well, I didn't know who she was until we were in the car. That's and right. then as soon as she started to talk about her experiences and qualifications, it was so perfectly in line with what we were needing at the campus. It was great. So she then on the way back, she said, you know, that first 15 hours that was vetting you on the way back. Now, do you want the, to do, do you this? Want a job? <laughs> right. Do you want a job? And she said, you ought to try this. And so I prayed about it. And the Lord told me, do not kick down doors. And so I didn't. So 10 months later, I get a call from Seren. She goes, do you want this or not? <laughs> and at that particular time, then the administration at New Hope gave me a call and said, can can we interview you? So the rest is kind of history in a good way, and I'm loving it every minute. It's, and that's an offshoot of the Wayne Cordero Church, right? That is correct. That is correct. The college itself um, is a partnership between Open Bible and um, the Foursquare Movement. And what a wonderful combination, because Open Bible has a more traditional, less emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit, where you see more of the emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit, which is one of the questions that Seren asked when we were talking about planning for this. Um, how much... Do you believe that God can do today 
what he promised, you will do greater things because I go to the Father. And do we really believe the words of our Lord? And my answer to that is yes. Seren's answer to that is yes. In fact, the speakers that will be here, the people will be praying for you. The words over you will all be about that constant faith, kind of the leap out of hope to the faith, this, this foundation strongly held that God does not lie. God does not lie to us. He tells us the truth every time. So why do you think that we avoid these distractions and, and these situations that are tougher, knowing fully well that God refines us through them? Have you ever met Christians from other countries? Don't they seem to embrace persecution a lot more than we Americans do? Why do you think that is? Are we just overly distracted or what? You know, I think that's a question that we have to ask ourselves a lot, and the Bible actually addresses this. In Romans 5, I think it's verses 2 to 5, it talks about how we rejoice in all suffering because suffering produces perseverance, mm-hmm. perseverance produces character, and then character produces hope. Mm-hmm. And I think we kind of have it backwards. We've allowed the world to teach us about hope, which is really about wishful thinking. You don't Mm -hmm. really believe it's going to come through, but gosh, wouldn't it be nice? So we have this wishful thought, and we think that's what hope is. In counseling, we call it magical thinking, don't we? Right, right. But we define that as hope. That's Mm -hmm. our everyday language. Gosh, I hope I win the lottery kind Mm -hmm. of a thing. But the Bible actually says in order to arrive at the place of hope, there is perseverance in the midst of suffering. There's rejoicing and giving thanks. Mm -hmm. In the midst of that is developed character. Mm -hmm. And when you finally start to develop some character, you're going to develop hope. Mm -hmm. And hope in the biblical understanding is the confident expectation of good things to come, that God is able Mm -hmm. and willing to do what he promised to do. So, So that means all the trials that we go through in life and Everything that that causes suffering is to produce character in order Mm -hmm. that it would bring us to the place of hope. So I think you're right in that in America, things have come so easy Mm -hmm. and things are so comfortable. We kind of have an expectation that that's what life should be. And even more so once Jesus enters our lives. That's right. And yet Jesus is about maturity. When we have children, everything that we do as parents is about maturity, developing maturity. And that even when we're 70 years of age, God is still interested in us becoming mature sons and daughters, increasing in that. And so we admire people who are constantly choosing to grow no matter their age, no matter their circumstance. And I think that's what this conference is going to be really about is, hey, we've all been through stuff. And that stuff that we've been through is to develop hope. That's right. And if you want to look at this uh, method that she just talked about, kind of like a clock, at at 3 o'clock, it's tribulation. At 6 o'clock, it's perseverance. At 9 o'clock, it's this notion of grace and, and hope. And then at 12 o'clock, glory. Pearls of Hope Conference Discovering Divine Destiny is coming to Western Seminary in Portland Friday and Saturday, October 24th and 25th. We'll be hearing more from plenary speakers Faye DeMeyer and Soren Backer. And if you'd like to get more information on this conference, check out the website pearlsofhopeconference.com. That's pearlsofhopeconference.com. And thank you for listening to Difference Makers. Coming up on October 24th and 25th at Western Seminary here in Portland, you won't want to miss the Pearls of Hope Conference Discovering Divine Destiny. And from the conference... The initial outing of it, we've got plenary speakers Soren Backer and Faye DeMeyer here to tell us all about it. You're both very well versed with expertise and education in the counseling field. And as 
teachers down at New Hope College in Eugene. Tell us who else we can expect to see at the Pearls of Hope Conference and what topics or workshops in particular might stand out to our listeners. I think one of the most germane topics of our day is human trafficking, especially because Portland ranks as the number one city in America, if not the world, which really shocked me with the I-5 being um, the sex trafficking highway of, of America. We have Diana Jans, who's the founder of Hope Ranch Ministries. She rescues these girls, puts them in a family environment and restores them to health, gives them tools and education. And I personally consult with this particular ministry, and she'll be one of our our workshop leaders. How do we recognize that maybe girls who are still in the home attending school are actually being trafficked by people in the area? That's shocking to us because we tend to think of these sex slaves as ones who are kidnapped and in brothels. Mm -hmm. But actually, we have young girls who are being trafficked from their own home, and the parents don't know. So she's doing a workshop and educating us and giving us ideas and how to bring about healing and wholeness, what we can really do. We also have um, Cynthia Biondi, who is just coming back from Haiti missions trip. She has an orphanage there that she feeds orphans from that huge crisis in Haiti. Remember when that happened? Mm -hmm. Um, And she's seeing amazing salvations in Malawi and in Haiti. And I think her last crusade, they had 6,000 salvations. And just a quick story with Cindy Biondi. She went to Malawi the first time preparing for about 300 people to show up. So she prepared enough food for like a small village. And when the word got out that a Western missionary was coming into town, 3,000 people showed up the first night. And she was in a panic because they just didn't have enough food. And she said, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord just came back and challenged her and said, do you not believe I'm still able to feed the masses with the small that you give me? Go feed them. So she went out and she and her group of you know missionaries, they just, with generous heaping portions, handed out that food and all 3,000 were fed and they had leftovers. And that was the beginning of her crusade in Malawi. That's the modern day fit in the 5,000. <laughs> that's yeah. just crazy. Crazy miracles. And the last miracle that she saw in Malawi before she left, a desperate mom brought a two-year-old child. She thought it was a girl and later she learned it was a boy. And this child had been born with no eyeballs. I'm not talking mm. blind, but literally no eyeballs, Lacking just a socket. the eyeballs altogether. Yeah, altogether. Nothing there but sockets. And Cindy didn't have a whole lot of faith because that's a pretty phenomenal mm. thing to see, right? But this desperate mom believed and said, I've seen you do miracles. I've seen the deaf here, and I've seen the blind open their eyes. The God who can open up the eyes of the blind can give my child new eyeballs. Mm. And Cindy said, okay, based on that, we'll pray. And she did. And her last miracle that she saw was that child opening his eyes and he was able to see. He had new eyeballs. See, Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, Today, and forever. And he wanted that child to see. So subsequently, she's had two uh, crusades and had 12,000 souls saved in Malawi. I'm actually joining her next May for her her, uh, trip. So these are just a sampling of amazing women who are already out there doing the stuff. They're not home. They're not just you know, behind the four walls of the church, they're out in the world. And your show is about difference makers. They're making a difference. We have one lady who actually hosts homeless people. She lives with the homeless. When the city said, you know, in order to feed the homeless from our food bank, you got to stop preaching the gospel. She said, no, thank you, because this is why I do what I do. Jesus called me to do it. She literally built 10 bedrooms in her own house. And with her own income, she lives with up to 30 to 40 homeless people. 
called the Last Resort Ministry. Mm-hmm. So I look at these women who are coming, and I'm absolutely flabbergasted about what God is raising up. And we're we're praying that all of this is infectious. It gets contagious to all the women and men who are coming to this conference. And we leave not just being better church members. Great, let's do that. But make a difference in the world with that's what we right. have, because that's what Jesus wants to do. That's right. So when because of your coloring on your, your branding and, and your ads and things like that, I'm thinking women's conference. Are you saying it's open to men as well? Yes. Men, women, young people, 12 and older. Um, and the reason 12 and older is the understanding, the ability to understand. Although there are young people that you may want to bring that you know understand, bring them. We're not going to hold back. If God tells you to come and to bring them, bring them. What I love about the stories that Serena is talking about is that she's talking about what the scripture promised. Greater things will you do because I go to the Father. When you hear the word of God and you see it not return void as it promised 750 years before Christ, now you're starting to see that Christ is not just um, something on a cross. Christ is not just a religion. This is a lived out faith. This is this is hope lived out, and it becomes faith. I'm excited. I, I can't wait to hear Saran. As you can tell by just listening to her for a few minutes, this woman is powerful. She has changed my life. Um, I'm 60 now. I only met her a year ago, and in that last year, Saran has had a significant impact on my life. How so? She, her faith, for one thing, her um, willingness to pierce the darkness and not to be afraid, her courage is amazing. Standing up against people, even in our own town, who would refute that God can do the things that she just spoke about. Those are ways that I see, and I need that kind of partnership in in the women's ministry where you can go hand in hand with a woman and not compete against her, where you can go hand in hand with a woman and know that she's on her face before God on your behalf, where you can go hand in hand with a woman and know that she's not just about uh, getting healing. So she'll be better and happier. She wants to change the world and make a difference, Mike. That's amazing. And that's what I know I want. God birthed that in our hearts at a young age. And to be honest with you, this is a young age. When you see the people in Scripture, when God began to use them, he began to use them roughly 80. <laughs> so at 20 years from now, I, I, I might be really good at this. You know, <laughs> I'm excited about it. That's exciting. And I think it's kind of uh, marketed as women's ministry. And we're, we're totally fine with that because all the plenary speakers are women. And I think that's a very unfamiliar territory. And usually when you have all the speakers who are women, it's marketed for uh, women's ministry and it's, and it's accepted that it's women's ministry. And we're totally fine with that. If that's where this goes and this is where the openness is, that's fine. But we don't want to shut the door to that's men right. who might want to come, men who might say, I need some hope and I need healing and I want a prophetic word. We don't want to shut that option off. We actually have a lot of husbands who are signing up with their wives saying, I want a personal prophetic prayer time myself. And yeah, I have a hip pain that I want healed too. And there's just, you know, we're, we're saying all access this, just like Jesus didn't turn anyone away. We're not trying to turn anybody away. We're just here doing what God asked us to do. Absolutely. For the purpose of expanding the kingdom. That's a really big deal. We're not here to like get fame. It's $40 to go to this. We're not going to get rich. That's includes your lunch. 
You know, we're here so that people will be healed emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So they'll go out and do that which God purposed them. If they're not doing that, what's the point? Yeah, and I think it's important to let everyone know the workshop speakers are not getting paid. Yes. The plenary speakers are not getting paid. It was really an assignment of the enemy. We've done a lot of garage sales and fundraisers, (laughs) and we're trying to cut the cost down as much as possible. And it really is just, let's equip the body beyond what they're getting maybe at church. So has this enfolded into what you initially envisioned, Sarah? No, (laughs) not at all. (laughs) I thought Faye and I would have fun and maybe do like a church function or a women's (laughs) retreat or something. And it's morphed into something completely different. So this is a bit larger than you anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bigger Not that that's a bad thing, but God knows what he's doing. Yeah. The Pearls of Hope Conference is Discovering Divine Destiny. That's its theme. It's coming Friday and Saturdays, October 24th and 25th, right here to Portland at Western Seminary. Our guests are both plenary speakers at the conference, Soren Backer and Faye DeMeyer. And if you'd like to find out more information, check out the website, pearlsofhopeconference.com. That's pearlsofhopeconference.com. And thanks for listening to Difference Makers. Joining Difference Makers today, the plenary speakers of the Pearls of Hope Conference, Faye DeMeyer and Soren Backer. It's coming to Western Seminary in Portland Friday and Saturday, October 24th and 25th. More information is available on the website, pearlsofhopeconference.com. And Soren, I'd like to get to know more about Soren Backer. So can you tell us how long you've been in Oregon, for starters? Yeah, we moved here 14 years ago, year 2000. Yeah, year year 2000, I was seven months pregnant with my third child. So my husband did all the unpacking. That was really cool. (laughs) Strategic timing on your part. Yeah, kind of. Um, And going back a little bit, you know, I've lived in many different places. I'm a pastor's kid. I was born in South Korea. And we immigrated to the United States when I was eight. And I lived in New York. I've lived in New Jersey. I've lived in Maryland. In fact, by the time I graduated high school, I'd gone to 13 different schools. 13 different schools. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Even though my father had um, a pretty consistent ministry at a single church, we kept renting homes and going to different school systems. And I was the kid that was bullied. I had hand-me-down clothes from the church. Clothes that nobody wanted to dress their kids in, I wore those clothes. I have buck teeth. I could barely keep my mouth closed, and I didn't get braces until I was a senior in high school. I have pretty thick glasses until I entered high school and and finally got contact lenses. And my mom would perm my hair into like this gigantic poodle-like hair. So as you can imagine, I just had a bullseye target on me everywhere I went. I was very shy. Uh, uh, English didn't come, you know— fully into my language until I was probably about sixth or seventh grade. Um, And I I lived in a home where my dad was a pastor. I'm I'm a third generation, actually, but there was just a lot of violence. There was a lot of fear. Um, And I believe my parents did the best they could, and they broke certain cycles that they grew up with. For instance, my dad, you know, when he was 17 um, or 16, the way he would be disciplined was his parents would beat him until he fainted. And I, I have three boys and I have a girl and um, I can't imagine hitting my kids to the point where they faint when they're mm-hmm. 16 because they're pretty big and strong by then. He never was like that with us, but that aspect of discipline stayed in the home. So I want to honor them for what they did, but it didn't take away from the fear that I felt. And so um, I really didn't have a safe place growing up. A- as a pastor's kid, if I screwed up, then my parents heard about it. Then we'd go home and we'd get in trouble. I was bullied at school. I just never knew what safety really felt like. 
We came to California when I was 17. I was a senior in high school, started over again at a different school, went to college, and I met my husband, and we were married by the time I was 22. But while we were dating for three years, I got pregnant. And as a pastor's kid who's involved in doing different ministry, um, I was very fear-driven. And I also grew up in a denomination where abortion was an option. It was okay. It was never taught to be a bad thing. And we even had doctors, you know, sitting in the pews who were making money from performing mm-hmm. abortions. So I didn't, I, I want you to understand, I didn't have this philosophical or, or spiritual opposition to this whole concept of abortion. So at the age of 21, when I found myself pregnant, pastor's kid, my dad was the pastor of the biggest Korean church in that particular denomination in the West Coast. He had a radio ministry, newspaper uh, column, and he had a TV ministry. And here I am, his daughter, who's pregnant out of wedlock. Um, So I actually went through an abortion when I was 21. Now, my husband was my first boyfriend. He was my first everything. But obviously, we crossed lines that should not have been crossed. We got married. And I am... I have to say that, um, you know, we have four kids, but all through the years that we were having kids and our marriage went through ups and downs, um, that the memory of my abortion never left me. And especially after you have children of your own, the grief process, the mourning process, it, it was just overwhelming. I was in such depression and despair. I was processing my childhood and how I grew up, um, we have four kids. We were financially destitute. We've been evicted twice in one year and we had two kids. You know, we were both full-time students. We had electricity cut off. We've had our cars repossessed. I mean, you name it, financially, we've been there. And um, by the time I was about 34, 35, and I'd had all my kids, I just wanted to suicidal despair. I wanted to die. I think, I mean, I know I was mentally ill, and I would beg God every night, take my life. If you really exist, you would actually have compassion on me so that I don't have to take my own life and leave a legacy of suicide for my kids. You would take my life. And every night I would beg him to take my life. And every morning I woke up conscious, I was so mad at God that he didn't have the compassion to take my life during the night. So that was my life for the vast majority of my 30s. And, you know, I grew up in a very religious tradition where God was a God of the Bible in the sense the word is true, but he's not the same now. He doesn't, we don't have the gift of prophecy. There is really very rarely healings. You know, like my mom died when I was eight months pregnant with my daughter. And she had cancer, and I watched her wither away. I didn't see anybody around me that really believed that there was going to be a miracle. We prayed because that's a good Christian thing to do, but nobody had the faith that she would be really made well. So I, I just grew up in this tradition of, you know, believe the Bible, be a good moral person, but these gifts that you're reading about in the Bible, they're not for our day. And those who say they're speaking in tongues, for instance, that's demonic, all that kind of stuff. So when I was about 39 and I was just done with my depression, I went to a, am I, am I going on too long? You can cut me off anytime. No, no, please, Um, please go on. I went to a conference and this is why I'm such a huge believer in conferences. I went to a conference. I don't remember what the person said. I just remember it ended up challenging me. And I went home with this one thing. God wants the untouched soil of your heart. Mm. And I thought I had given God everything I could give, but I knew that there was this huge area of hurt and pain I didn't trust him with because first of all, he knew what my life was like and he gave me that life. So I had to overcome that anger towards, towards God. And so I went home and I said, okay, I've tried living the good life as a good person. I've been a good moral person. I did the right things. And I've been the church person, the ministry person. Now I'm so done with all these ideas that people have told me about you. I need to know you. 
I'm going to open up the word. I'm going to junk every little bit of doctrine that's ever been taught to me. And I want you to teach me who you are. So I was 39 at that time. And the Lord showed up. Every morning I would open the Bible. Every morning I would go into praise or worship or sometimes fist pounding anger against him. He would show up and he would begin to speak to me. And he wooed me into this relationship. Then the gifts of the Spirit began to flow in my life. I started prophesying. In fact, one of the first words I gave this girl, I was so um, confused whether it was real or not, but I, I gave it because I saw it. She was working for India ministry and mission work, but I saw her in the Middle East. I saw her and her and her husband in the Middle East and her working with children. She'd never had work with children. Well, make t- to make a long story short, within 11 months, she and her husband out, were out in a Middle East nation, and she was working as an elementary school teacher. And her husband was in the business that I had prophesied she, he would be in within 11 months of that prophecy. So then I knew this gift of prophecy is a real deal. God is really in this. It can change people's lives and invite them into their destiny. And that's what this whole conference is about, is God used a conference to change my life. That's why I'm such a huge believer in it. Which is why you've launched this Pearls of Hope conference. Right, right. So you mentioned being 39 and praying that prayer out of desperation to God. Uh, Despite growing up as the daughter of a highly publicized pastor, is this at age 39 really the moment when your faith became your own as opposed to what your parents had given you? Yeah, I definitely had supernatural experiences prior to that. Uh, For instance, when when I got pregnant with my daughter, the Lord prophesied her to me. And he said in an audible voice, by this time next year, you'll be holding your baby in your arms. And I didn't, I didn't have a grid to put that, but I just kind of like, okay, for some reason, God had compassion on me. And um, at age 39, I think it wasn't so much like this occasional prayer life, and it wasn't just doing Bible study and going to Bible studies and having discussions. It was heart-to-heart connection with a father who sent his own son to die for me who gave me the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me and wants to have a relationship with me and direct my life at every step. That became real. It became a relationship and not a religion. So all these years later, how is it between you and your husband? How is his walk? You know, he he was slower (laughs) than I was to uh, receive the whole gifts of the Spirit thing, but the Lord healed my marriage. I I have to say that... um, He's married to a different woman than he has been. I blamed him for the abortion. He healed our marriage. My husband is very open to the gifts of the Spirit because he's seen it at work. Um, I'm just really blessed with a family that's healed now, I have to say. It's not perfect, but we're healed, and we have a very good relationship now. Especially as a mother, it must be refreshing to see that. And have the kids noticed, like a light switch, how mom changed? Yeah. In fact, my oldest is at New Hope Christian College going into ministry because of that. If he hadn't seen me change and it had just been rhetoric, I don't believe he would be where he is right now. Soren Becker is just one of the plenary speakers at the Pearls of Hope Conference coming to Western Seminary in Portland. And that's Friday and Saturday, October 24th and 25th. The theme of the Pearls of Hope Conference is Discovering Divine Destiny. And you can find out more information at their website, pearlsofhopeconference.com. That's pearlsofhopeconference.com. More with Soren Backer and Faye DeMeyer next on Difference Makers. Welcome back to Difference Makers. We're excited about the Pearls of Hope Conference, Discovering Divine Destiny, coming to Western Seminary in Portland on Friday and Saturday, October 24th and 25th. And what an awesome testimony you shared, plenary speaker Soren Backer. Thank you for sharing that with our audience. It's just amazing to me that 
a PK, a pastor's kid, the daughter of an incredibly successful and well-known pastor, would come to own her faith at age 39 and really own it as yours. What a testimony it is to show your children, this is the real deal. This is not about tradition. It's about a relationship alongside religion and just coming to know and love a benevolent God who loved us so much he gave us his best. And it's so cliched. It almost sounds like we're downplaying it and we should never take that for granted. And a dear friend of mine who's pretty good at being grateful is my friend Theda Meyer, another plenary speaker at the Pearls of Hope conference. So, Faye, what will you be speaking about? I'm going to be talking about emotional and mental health. Um, Largely, that's what I do for a living, but it was born out of a personal experience, as most people who are good at what they do um, really come from that space. I was opposite of Saran in that I was not born into a Christian home. I was born into an alcoholic, um, prescription drug addict, uh, living in a car uh, migrant-type home. And when I was 10 years old, um, my family um, were living in a car and uh, in California uh, doing the crops. My dad got into a fight with one of the guys he was drinking with, and the guy fell and broke his neck, and my dad ended up in the county jail waiting for manslaughter charges. While he was in jail, my five-year-old sister was ran over and killed by a car. And they let my dad out to go to the funeral. And when they did, they said, don't show your face in this courtroom again. And we came to Oregon. Well, in Oregon, you can't live in your car only a couple months out of the year. And so in 1964, um, March, um, we came here to Oregon. And um, we couldn't work in the fields until about May, end of May, 1st of June. So my dad got a short-time job, and then we went back out living in our car. And um, about two months later... um, The parents were drinking the money that we had earned out in the fields at a bar, and we were driving back home because the parents were um, passed out in the back seat. My nine-year-old sister um, was driving, and she ran our 56 Buick Roadmaster into a telephone pole, and we ended up in foster care. That lasted about six months, and you know how systems go. They send kids back when the parents show any sign of improvement. They were going to AA, NA, and all that. And uh, I thought, man, why are they giving us back to these people? They Now, I want you to know that my mom had 13 pregnancies total. And in the car at any one time were six kids living. And um, a lot of kids died because of uh, battery, salt and battery. that My dad perpetuated on my mom once he took a, a hydraulic jack and hit her in the head so bad that you couldn't recognize her. And those things happened all before I was 10 years old. So we were in foster care, went back to them uh, Christmas Eve. Um, By May 10th, the next year, I came home from school, found my older sister tied up in the front room of the house that we were um, made to live in because we couldn't live in a car because we were still under, mom and dad were under probation still. And they were getting ready to flee, tied up my sister. I was going to be next. And I walked across the street and went to seek help. Um, I didn't know at the time I was illiterate. I was on the wrong street. I didn't know where to go for help. I walked until about six o'clock that night, got back to the house and everything was gone and piled up in the middle of this little shack that we lived in. And I thought, oh, okay, 11 and a half, I'll live on my own. This will work. Because we'd been used to taking care of the little kids and mom and dad being drunk all the time. This seemed like a natural thing. I need you to know that about a month before my sister got ran over and killed, I was taken from our migrant camp on a van to go to a church, and I committed my life to Christ at 10 years old. When my sister died, I knew that she was better off than me. 
I, there was just something inherent in this childlike faith that knew that number one, God is real. I needed God and I didn't have a father and he was my father. And I have embraced that since 10 years old, not in perfect walk, mind you. Um, I got married at 18, right out of foster care. When I was 17, just a year before um, I got married, um, I was in an abusive foster home and my foster parents that I call my mom and dad called up CSD and said, can we keep Faye till she graduates? And that um, became my family. And my dad just passed away this August at 88, uh, love, loving God. And they never preached. They never preached a word, but they lived it. So I've had, um, I guess, renewals with the Lord at 13 and then 18, you know, and times when you just get bigger and, and you grow in your faith. I think having children uh, rejuvenated me. And I, again, I barely went through high school. I was 13 and a half when I found out officially that I was illiterate. And one of my school peers helped me learn how to read. And I ended up graduating with like a two five, you know, just a C average. And at 33, my friend Nelda, my mentor, uh, turned around one day at church and she said, Faye, you need to go to college. And I went, I know, because I, I had been hearing that. And she goes, no, you need to go now. Nobody's going to listen to you until you have that. She called it sheepskin because that's what they used to put college <laughs> diplomas on. And I said, okay. And so two years later, it took me two years because of the fear of going back to school. And I went back to school. And four years uh, later, I graduated with my bachelor's from Western. And then two years after that with my master's from U of O. And now I'm all but dissertation in my doctoral degree. And in between, I've worked in the mental health field. In between, I've learned how to um, practice the habits of somebody who is listening to God and taking this adult skill that I have and applying it to the child that was broken. And so I'm kind of an application sort of person. I think that's what qualifies me for being here. Um, all my degrees and all my professional acumens don't qualify me as much as what God has done in my life. Well, your life experience obviously allows you to relate with people on a scale that very few people would be able to. And yet here's this woman who was illiterate into high school who went out and, and studied at these schools and graduated. That's, that's really quite fantastic and, and, and impressive. And I graduate with minor, um, I mean, I was, you know, I, tr I did well and I studied hard. I have to read out loud, Mike, and you know what's interesting is God showed me that um, Romans ten seven that says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God showed me that we, in fact, need to read out loud his word. So I did that in my school studies as a natural phenomenon. So reading the word out loud was no problem for me. I am a student of the word of God and a student of people. And so what qualifies me to be speaking about mental health and emotional health is living it. I, I have troubles just like everyone else meaning that those struggles come, but God is my redeemer. And I see every trouble that I have coming my way as a way to comfort somebody else. Does that make sense? It, it sure does. And, and have you taken that teaching down, down to New Hope Christian oh, yeah, College to absolutely. your students? Well, I've been teaching at Chemeketa for 17 years. And as a secular teacher, I absolutely have, um, like, there'd be truths, you know, that secular psychologists come up with. All truth is from God. We know that, right? So I'll say a, a wise old book once said what Eric Fromm said in 1951, you can't love somebody else until you love yourself. And the students will come up to me, Mike, after class and go, what's that wise old book or that historical book? Oh, well, that's the Bible. 
you know, that's extremely reminiscent of our sister station, 104.1 The Fish, uh-huh. food, uh, fish food Thought of the day. Yeah. They sound awful like the Proverbs, don't they? Awfully similar. And and that you know, Chris Kelly does a fantastic job uh-huh. programming that station from the perspective of being safe for the whole family and using that as an inroads to people who may or may not be so open to people of faith. That's right. That's right. So I know the plans that God has had for me, and I know they're for good, a hope and a future. Having this conference to support and bolster people toward health I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing. I really can't. It sounds like other people would like to go to Hawaii on a vacation, although I'd like to do a conference in Hawaii. I'd rather be teaching. I wouldn't turn down at Hawaii conference <laughs> either. Right. So if I'd you want help, me neither. Yeah, call us. <laughs> you know where to find me. So Absolutely. ladies, I've so enjoyed hearing your testimonies. And about the conference, give us one, one reason to come, Surin Becker. Come, and if you're ever bored going to church week in and week out, after years of doing the same thing and you want something new, know that God has something new for you. Know that there is always more, always more in Jesus Christ. His adventures are limitless. Amen to that. And for you, Fatemeyer? If you want to see the Word of God lived out in your life, come to this conference, because it's not about hearing only, it's about doing. And that's what this conference, I think, will do with all of the plenary speakers and the workshop folks. Amen to that. Real friends, sisters in Christ, and just fun overall great people. Soren Backer and Faye DeMeyer are two of your plenary speakers at the Pearls of Hope Conference. Coming to Western Seminary Friday and Saturday, October 24th and 25th. More information on registration and location and other features will be on their website, pearlsofhopeconference.com. That's pearlsofhopeconference.com. Soren Backer, Fatemeyer, thank you so much for joining us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.